This is MPB News. Hi, this is Ashley Norwood. Thanks for checking out the At Issue podcast. If you like what you hear, please like, rate, or leave a comment. Subscribe to this and other MPB News productions, like Mississippi Edition, to stay up to date. Don't forget to tell your friends about us, too. You can also watch At Issue on MPB TV, Friday nights at 7.30, or on mpbonline.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us. I'm Wilson Stribling. Welcome to another edition of At Issue, where we discuss and debate the issues facing the state of Mississippi and how these issues impact you. That issue tonight, Republican Governor Tate Reeves with an update on a number of issues facing the state. He provides information for the hundreds of Mississippians displaced by the recent flooding event and an update on his promise to close the infamous Unit 29 at the state penitentiary at Parchman. Unit 29 is where much of the recent deadly inmate-on-inmate violence erupted. Reeves says this is a temporary fix while stakeholders identify a more long-term solution. Since the start of our administration, we have been working to restore order to our prison system. We've said repeatedly that the tip of that spear is, in fact, Parchman's Unit 29. Today, earlier this morning, we started the process of moving the last inmates out of Unit 29's major housing facilities. We've been able to move many through reclassification, sending them to medium or even minimum security facilities because that work had been ignored for too long. This larger transfer is to find a temporary housing solution for those who we could not reclassify or swap for lower custody level inmates. This major transfer required a tremendous amount of work and consideration. We needed temporary housing to get inmates out of the environment as we worked towards a longer term solution. We determined that the only temporary location to safely house those prisoners is the Tallahatchie County Correctional Facility. That is the nearby private prison where Governor Bryant sent inmates during the initial violence. It's just a few miles down the road and the only one equipped for close custody prisoners. Governor Reeves first announced this plan during his State of the State address last month. At the time, there were roughly 1,400 inmates in Unit 29. As of this week, about 600 inmates remain in the unit. The governor says it should be empty in the next three to four weeks. Only death row inmates, which are required by law to be at Parchman, will remain. Reeves also announced a reduction in the cost per prisoner. You should know that we have renegotiated the price to safely get the best possible deal for Mississippi taxpayers. It's nearly a 5% reduction in cost from the original contract. So from $65 a day per prisoner down to $62.50 per prisoner. That's in line with the market rate for these close custody prisoners, people who require a single cell or one roommate rather than an open bay environment. Now, for those of you who have covered the legislature for the last eight years, you know I'm a budget hawk. These are the prisoners who pose the greatest risk of violence. If it were medium or minimum security, the price could be lower. If it were a long-term housing contract, the price could be even lower. But for temporary housing for, of our most dangerous prisoners, this is a price that we feel confident in. 
At the Capitol, conversations about Mississippi's prison crisis continue. Members of the Senate and House Corrections Committees are discussing ideas for legislation to reform the state's criminal justice system. They said we had four to 500 um, inmates right now that were up for parole, but they just don't have an address, so they don't have anywhere to go. A gentleman made the suggestion, why don't we look at maybe getting some tr more transitional homes and teaching them a skill to get them back into the environment. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that are on the table. There's going to be a lot of reclassification, I think, of these prisoners to see where they can be moved to different units. And uh, we were in a hearing last Thursday where they were talking about bringing more workforce development training to, to get them more qualified. That's the thing that we've got to give these guys and ladies a skill. We've got to get them qualified for the workforce We got to, so they can be able to get a job so they don't be repeat defenders. I think right now it's about what can be done in this session, okay? Understand this is, as I've said it before on the MDOC issue, this is, we didn't get here overnight and we're not going to get out of it this session, okay? So this is, we have at least four years to attack this, but this session, you know, we have, uh, I guess, half, half the session left and that's just the way things work out. So what can we do to, uh, to uh, ease the pressure on the system? The governor also discussed the recent historic flooding along the Pearl River. About a dozen counties in central Mississippi have been affected. Hundreds of Mississippians have been forced to evacuate with hundreds of homes threatened. Reeves advises evacuees not to enter their homes until it's safe to do so. He also says it's important to take pictures and videos of the damage in your home and report it on the MEMA website. The Mississippi Department of Mental Health is currently being sued by the U.S. Department of Justice for violating federal civil rights laws by not providing mental health patients enough care in their communities. Olmstead is the landmark Supreme Court case at the center of the Justice Department's complaint. In 1999, the Supreme Court ruled that not giving people with mental illness the option to receive mental health care in their own communities violates the Americans with Disabilities Act. These services can include medication assistance, crisis intervention, psychological services, and housing and employment support. In 2011, the Justice Department sent Mississippi a letter reprimanding the state for continuing to spend more money treating people in mental health hospitals rather than using community-based services. In 2016, the Justice Department argued that the state was continuing to drag its feet on its care for the mentally ill and sued Mississippi for violating their rights. This week, senators on the Public Health and Welfare Committee met with officials from the Mississippi Department of Mental Health to discuss pending litigation. People on the local level can figure this out a lot better than a top-down solution. But if we don't get something going pretty quickly, there's getting ready to be a top-down solution uh, coming from the federal court. So I'm asking everybody here to help us figure out how we might get from point A to point B. During the trial, DOJ had an expert that indicated that the services that are being provided and outlined in the standards for the Department of Mental Health were very well written, but there was a lack of consistency in the delivery of those services. So he acknowledged that Mississippi has a system in place. We have standards for community mental health centers and community providers to follow, but there's just a lack of consistency statewide in every county of these services being available. Um, the majority of these services are services that are designed to um, ensure that someone does not have to go to a higher level of care if they can receive a service in the community. So some of the services that were discussed, there was also another DOJ expert who outlined what, what 
community-based services needed to be in a community in order to keep someone from having to go to a higher level of care, or if they have to go to a higher level of care like a state hospital, then they have a shorter length of stay. Uh, no expert during the trial said that we didn't need state hospitals. We know that we need a continuum of care. We need to be able to serve a person in the least restrictive environment. I think that we're going to have to have some entity, some person, somebody, something, whose job it is to make sure that services are actually being delivered in each county, to figure out what's going on in each county, and if something's not being done, if we're not on the right road, that individual is going to need to have both the responsibility and the authority to, to do something. I think who that is, where it is, whether it's the Department of Mental Health, whether it's an entity in the Department of Mental Health, or, I don't know. That's one of the things that I would ask we all to think through with. And finally, and I, I, I want to be very clear about this, I do not think there are any bad people anywhere in this process. Everybody that I've encountered, the state level, the, the local level, everywhere, is trying to do the right thing. So it's not that we've got people that are evil, it's just that we've got a system that isn't functioning everywhere as it should and we need to figure out how to get from point A to point B. In a decision issued last fall, U.S. District Judge Carlton Reeves said the state has repeatedly failed to modernize its mental health system and ordered the appointment of a special master to help the state comply with federal law. According to the Department of Mental Health, meetings about who that special master might be started in December, but a decision is still pending. The Department of Mental Health is asking lawmakers for almost $222 million in budget requests that include an increase for more community-based services. Lawmakers questioned Director, Di Director Diana Mikula about the department's efforts to provide more services. Our goal over time is, is to see that the community services are provided and there's no need for a state hospital bed. But until we don't have a wait list and until we eliminate anyone waiting in jail, then we have to do it in a very strategic and safe manner. Okay, if I understand you correctly, there's a hodgepodge. You're still providing the service in a way, but it's a hodgepodge system. Has that been appointed, uh, or pointed out as being a problem in, in getting them to that community-based care that they are referencing? No, I mean, it's, it's really content, called a continuum of care, and there, at no point during the trial was there anything, any, any expert that said we don't need the state hospital level of care. There are people who are just seriously mentally ill and who are going to decompensate to the point in time where they need a longer length of stay, and that's really what the state hospitals offer. So at no point in time during the trial did they say we need to close all of our state hospital beds. We need to, as we increase our community capacity and see the need for, for institutional beds decrease, we need to have the ability to shift those and and I have no intention of of having state hospital beds funded that are not being occupied but right now we, we don't have the capacity in the community and that's one of the reasons for the the request for appropriation is we you, you've got to you've got to build up one system to see the need for another system decrease what you said became the hallmark of this trial which is they went into the communities and just what they said you we may have it on paper but it ain't being delivered and that, but then they go on to say, but it's the Department of Mental Health's responsibility to quote, manage the expansion. So we, so we can give all the money we want, unless, as far as I'm concerned, based on what I see, unless that, this part's fixed, it ain't gonna be fixed. So that's what I'm asking. What is the plan of the Department of Mental Health? And, you know, does it, do we need to do something else? 
So our current plan, after uh, receiving the judge's order, we did demonstrate uh, through trial that we were offering these grants to the community mental health centers to expand community-based services. Um, I do believe that people should be treated in the least restrictive environment. We at the agency right now are working on some new mechanisms for, to, to look at quality, to ensure that the services is delivered timely, like a mobile crisis response team itself reported. We're looking at a data system so that we can track that call. These, these things take time and resources, but we recognize that we've got to be able to know that if, a, if, we, if the services is being delivered, that, it, that we can ensure that it's being delivered at the, at, at the quality level. The Mississippi Legislative Black Caucus is rolling out its legislative priorities for 2020. Senator Angela Turner Ford of West Point is the caucus leader. She tells Ad Issue producer Ashley Norwood that reforms in the criminal justice system, elections, education and health care are topping their list. The caucus actually sent a group to Parchment to tour. We had an opportunity to view the facilities. They need work. Um, we also know that family members are concerned about inmates who are being housed in the prison system. So there are just a lot of matters that we need to pay close attention to. And um, I believe that not the, it's not only the caucus that's looking at them, I believe it's the, the um, combination of the House, Senate, and the governor's office. And with education, what reforms are you looking at? Well, there have been reports of teacher shortages. Um, licensures have decreased. Of course, um, fully funding um, education for all school districts has been a looming issue. So all of those are pressing matters, I believe, and um, I think we need to do all that we can to bring up those underperforming areas, D and F districts, and um, try to move them to, to get on par with the rest of the state. And with health care, uh, Medicaid, um, your thoughts on that? We have a lot of sick people in Mississippi. We do, we do. Our primary goal, um, our major want or our ask is that Medicaid be expanded, but um, we're not sure if that's really a practical reality at this point, but I believe that there are some other um, strides or gains that we can make pertaining to um, access to health care, such as um, expanding Medicaid coverage for postpartum women for 12 months after delivery. Um, I think that that's an attainable goal and that's something that we would like to see implemented on behalf of the state. Brain drain is when highly trained or highly educated people decide to leave the state and go elsewhere. It's been an issue in Mississippi for years. Between 2017 and 2018, Mississippi was one of two southeastern states to lose more people than it gained, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. Tony Jeff is CEO of Innovate Mississippi. He tells at issue producer Ashley Norwood how helping entrepreneurs connect the dots can help resolve the brain drain issue. But he says it will take a million dollars from the state legislature. So we're really the enabler that connects dots for technology startups in Mississippi. So any technology startup really from the idea stage on, we will come in, counsel with them, connect them to the resources they need to grow. And then we've set up around the state mentors as well as investors that want to invest in these companies. And so that's part of what we do is we just really enable a technology startup to be able to do so successfully in Mississippi. I know you mentioned that you started receiving funding in the early 2000s. Can you talk about your recent funding history compared to what you're asking for today? Right, so we averaged about $1.2 million for uh, the beginning and really kind of got the ball rolling, but we've been down to $500,000 of funding the last several years, which has really curtailed our efforts. Uh, if you look at other states, uh, really other states of $3 million are averaging about $1.5 million per $3 million residents. And so Arkansas is a great example. They're at $1.5 million plus some major incentive programs. 
Uh, and so that's we're asking to basically be funded uh, even a little bit lower than the average, but we can be cost effective at that range and hopefully then uh, push to show what we could really do with more. Other state agencies also presented their budget requests this week. The Department of Human Services is asking for $69 million, which is level funding. Child Protective Services wants $141.9 million for things like salary increases to hire more caseworkers. And the Department of Mental Health is requesting $221 million to expand community-based services in all 82 counties. Senate Appropriations Chair Briggs Hobson of Vicksburg says subcommittees are about halfway through agency budget request hearings. He describes what's next. Well, every year we go through the process of allowing each agency to come in and submit their requests, talk about what they need for their agencies. Uh, we are going through that process, have completed most of those right now, and then we will start the process, we the senators and staff will start the process of breaking down those requests. Uh, I will meet with the subcommittee chairman individually to talk about what the needs and the wants are for the agency. Sometimes those obviously are different. And then uh, we will try to craft a first budget that we will get uh, start going through the Senate. House will be doing the same on the, uh, their budget bills uh, in about two, two and a half weeks. So let's get straight to the point now with views from both sides of the aisle. Brandon Jones is an attorney and former Democratic member of the House. Austin Barber is a national Republican strategist and founder of the Clearwater Group. Good to have you all with us on that issue once again. Yeah. Let's start with this uh, flooding situation. Uh, it's, it's just passing the Jackson area now. It's moving downriver. Lots of folks have been dealing with it. it. It brings to mind the flood of 1983, the flood of 1979, the, the one and two, one in 79, number two in 83, and now number three in 2020. There's been no meaningful flood control. Uh, there have been no flood control measures undertaken in the years since those floods. Austin, you had water in your backyard here in Jackson. Do you think this latest flood will be the catalyst to finally get something done for flood control? I, I sure hope so. I mean, this is just government bureaucracy that has bogged this issue down for now literally decades. But, but it appears from all reports that we are as close uh, to a flood solution as, as they've ever been. Um, so I applaud those who've been working on the, the, the One Lake project. Um, and, and I hope that I hope that they are able to get something done. It, and it it's, it reminds me of what the, our friends in the Mississippi Delta had went through, uh, particularly in Yezo, Sharkey, Esquina, Warren, Humphreys, those counties. Uh, government bureaucracy that has just come to a stop and not taken the necessary steps to prevent a huge disaster. I mean, we're really lucky. Okay, and we're not out of the woods yet. Those who are a lot smarter about this than I am say that we're going to be dealing with high water issues with the pearl this entire spring. So just because we got nearly 38, the, the pearl got to nearly 38 feet, doesn't mean that it's not going to do it again. Again, that's the third highest that it's ever been on record. So I, I certainly hope that we'll see a solution uh, for flood control. It's the, 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 it's, I think it's with the Secretary of the Army right now. Um, and it's his final decision and hopefully he approves it and then we have an ability to move forward with a real flood control plan that will help uh, those of us who live in around Flowood and Jackson. And look, it's also a big issue to help Jackson springboard forward because there's a huge economic development uh, part of this. It's very important too because Jackson needs some help. It's the capital city of the state and, and it, needs, it needs something to kind of spur it along to get back headed in the right direction. Hundreds of homes flooded, thousands displaced. I mean, this is a huge problem for central Mississippi and uh, really a calamity for those folks who have been impacted. Um, heart breaks for them, and, and I don't think it's, it's enough for us to just 
not do anything. We need to be responsive. You know, following hurricanes that have occurred down where I'm from on the Gulf Coast, we've called on the Army Corps of Engineers and others to help with certain strategies. And the same type of innovative thinking is probably need here. You know, it's hard not to think about the impact of climate change as weather events become more and more intense. So I think that needs to be part of the consideration here as well. But, um, I, you know, I, I think it would be foolish at this point to take any option off the table, given the severity of what's just happened and the likelihood that it's going to continue to be a problem. But it's worked on the Gulf Coast. I mean, after, particularly after Katrina. Building codes were modernized, standards were raised um, to make it easier for people to survive, literally survive, but also their, their homes and their businesses to survive for when the next big cat, strong Category 3 or Category 4 hurricane comes through. And we got to have that for flood control in, you know, in the largest area of our state in terms of population. Let's move on to this discussion, ongoing discussion about uh, the Department of Mental Health. Uh, Brandon, the state's sort of in a pickle here, I think, because they've been ordered by the feds to, to do something. Yet it seems as if nobody has a, we talked about getting from point A to point B a couple of times there. Nobody seems to have a concrete plan or idea of, uh, of how to get it done. We've had a longstanding sort of addiction to institutional care. And so providing care in communities has been something that has been tough for us to get our minds around and then tough for us to execute. I think you heard there in these hearings a few possible solutions that may be coming to the fore. One of them is, as you heard Senator Bryan say, we need someone who is watching solely the community mental health process and whether or not counties are delivering. And when they're not, allow that person to have enough latitude to be able to shift resources or to make calls up to say, hey, we need to change what we're doing here locally. And then there is a price tag associated with this. You, you just cannot translate numerous local mental health opportunities without it coming at a cost. And so I think the legislature is going to have to probably do a little bit of both. They're going to have to be innovative, um, but they're probably going to have to spend some money. But there's no question, Austin, that providing mental health services in your neighborhood leads to better outcomes than constantly being beholden to institutional care. Yeah, I haven't seen any numbers to back that up, but man, it's hard to argue against that. That's just kind of common sense. It's no different than people who need to have a major surgery or they're going to have, you know, their wife's about to have a baby. They want to have that in a hospital close to them so they have their friends and their family and their home, you know, within a 20 mile radius. Uh, and I certainly would have to think for, you know, for mental health patients who are dealing with some very serious issues as their family are as well, that if you can handle that at a local level, now I don't think, I, I wouldn't think that means you got to have an office in every county. You can have regionalized offices that are within, you know, uh, under an hour drive for people. You can, you can set up a system like that. But yeah, I get that. I don't understand the cost of it. I hadn't seen studies, but that is hard to argue. And look, and I don't, you know, um, Senator, Senator Bryan and I are not on the, the same page a lot of times ideologically, but it's hard to argue with what he's saying. And I think this is another example, us watching the clips from that hearing, and I, I bet both you and I wish that we would have been there to hear that, where you see um, you know, Bryce Wiggins, Briggs Hobson, and Ha Bryan, they're all trying to move in the same direction of how do we make this a better product for the Mississippians who, are have, who have to deal with this issue. I'm a big believer it, that government should have real safety nets, you know, for people who truly need it. 
and certainly that includes um, people with with uh, mental health issues, and and we got to do a better job. And I appreciate the the question that Bryce Wiggins brought up: of look, we can give you all the money, we can give you all the tools, but the agency's got to go perform. So I appreciate his. Uh, willingness to be able to say that because legislators have got to push and make sure these things are being taken care of. On the subject of uh, corrections, there have been a flurry of hearings about the prison system and, and, th- and of course, all fueled by the, the, the prison violence that happened just before the legislative session began. Uh, Brandon, what type of legislation do you think we're likely to see come out of all of this? Well, these, these two issues we're talking about are connected. I'm, I'm pretty sure that our high level of incarceration is connected to undiagnosed mental illness. And so the extent to which uh, we get better at diagnosing mental health problems and providing care for those folks, um, I think it's going to have a direct impact on uh, our criminal justice system and, <clears throat> frankly, our performance outcomes in the classroom and everywhere else. I mean, it, the implications of that stuff is, is huge. Um, what we have seen this week is the governor delivering on his promise to close Unit 29, which was unquestionably the first tactical move that needed to be made to begin to make our system better. Now it's short term, and you heard the governor say several times this is temporary. Um, It should be temporary because it comes at such a high cost to keep those inmates in Tallahatchie. But Wilson, the way that we really begin to address the problem in Mississippi actually could come at no cost, and that's by making it easier for people to have access to parole. It's by looking at the way that we keep nonviolent offenders in prison for an extensively long time uh, because of our habitual statutes. And so there's a variety of different things that the legislature could do. You heard Senator Wiggins say, we didn't get there overnight, we're not gonna get out overnight. But what the legislature could do is turn the clock back on parole reform and sentencing in such a way that it takes a huge amount of pressure off of the system and allows us to really get safety and uh, rehabilitation on a good path. I think today's a pretty good day for Mississippi. Brandon is applauding Tate Reeves, and I'm agreeing with Brandon. This is, I think, it's a really good day on a number of issues. But I think what it, I think there's no question what we're seeing are our state, our state leaders who were elected to lead and to make tough decisions are doing that, and they're doing it in a much more bipartisan manner than I've seen in a long time. Uh, now, there's still half the session left, and things can break down, but I think this is a, this is a good start. Tate Reeves said, I'm going to close Unit 29 as much as you possibly can, and that's exactly what he has done. So he is a guy who said, I will make this happen because it needs to happen for, for the betterment of our state, and he's doing just that, and he'll go from this crisis to the next crisis, putting these fires out and setting them up for success in the long term. And I think that's a great thing for the state of Mississippi. And we still have to uh, select or have a, a new corrections commissioner. So that will add another layer to all of this uh, when that uh, person I mean, comes along. This just demonstrates the creativity that's needed. It's, it's, not one, it's not do this or do that. It's really do a combination of all these things. Right, Brandon, Austin, thank you as always. We are out of time. Don't forget you can watch this program online at mpbonline.org. For day-to-day coverage, follow MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for joining us on At Issue. Good night. Thanks for listening to the At Issue podcast from MPB News. If you haven't already, subscribe to get new episodes weekly. And don't forget to like, rate, and leave a review. You can also stay in touch with MPB News on Twitter and Facebook. 
For daily news, check out the Mississippi Edition podcast. Thanks for listening.